0: you're listening to agriculture a podcast that interviews a range of inspirational people from the farming community with a whole host of interesting tales to tell join us in conversation to find out what drives them and their businesses where they get their inspiration from and what they love about agriculture i'm mary jane laurie and for today's podcast i joined richard and fiona lamb for a coffee to chat about their farming business in kipping they have faced challenges as they took over the farm business and started new ventures but their positive outlook has allowed them to find success. Can you tell me a bit about your background? Where did you grow up?
1: I, I grew up in um, Pinna which is a suburb of London. Um, I, my mum and dad and uh, four brothers. I went to a, a, a grotty comprehensive in um, just outside Harrow um, and I left school at sixteen with virtually no qualifications at all. Didn't like school at all, but I was very lucky. I was quite good at sport, and as a result, I got um, accepted in the Metropolitan Police Cadets. Um, I joined the cadets at sixteen. It was run much like the army. It was absolutely fantastic. I had a fantastic time. I loved it. Did two and a half years there. Um, went to Hendon Training School, and, and from after completing my training there, I transferred to uh, Lemon Street Police Station in Bethan Green.
0: And what about you, Fiona? What was your childhood like? I was um, brought up or born in
2: Cambridgeshire and then ended up moving all over the country, moved to Edinburgh, then to Dumfries and then to Australia. My dad was a GP initially and then a psychiat- trained as a psychiatrist. So we ended up in Australia. But it was at the time when it was a really bad drought over there and I think my mum really suffered so we came back because it was just too hot over there for a poor freckly fair-skinned Scot from Aberdeen (laughs) and um, so we came back and ended up in Glasgow and I went to school in Glasgow and then to university but I couldn't decide what I wanted to do and I guess I was a little bit rebellious um, with my parents I was always the middle awkward one shall we say and dad had said oh what are you going to do they were all very medical and I was the only non-medical one and I said oh I'm going to join the police because I thought it might annoy him probably but anyway I ended up applying for Strathclyde police and I was too short at just under five foot eight so the Metropolitan Police wanted obviously short Scotswoman so anyway I ended up there (laughs) and that's where that's
0: where we met. So w- when you met, you worked in the police for a while, did you? Did you stay down in London?
2: We were both in the East End of London, which was quite a rough area. It was in Wapping, and where the it was
1: in in the days where the Docklands were, were they weren't the the affluent um, high rise Canary, you know, Wolf. Canary Wharf and stuff. At the time, it was a rough, and it really was a rough, a rough area. It was Jack the Ripper country, and the craze. Um, yeah, it was that type of thing, and. Bethel Green and Limehouse and and Lemon Street there were yeah it was it was it was a rough really rough um busy um area to work in, in in London
2: and I think the difficult thing was in in those days as a WPC you didn't you you didn't go out in pairs you went out by yourself and I was probably quite a naive I'd I'd come from a sort of quite a sheltered background I suppose hadn't got any insight into town life and um you know walking by myself or patrolling by myself you did, in the you east end really of London. Well. You did really well. Probably terrified most of the time. No you did really well. In <laughs> fact I mean it, it was it was actually utterly
1: ridiculous. I think in the in the it was in the days where they ha- didn't have um tutor constables and, and that you had about one or when I joined you had about one or two days walking with a more experienced officer and then you were on your own and sent out and with Fiona um, as I'm sure she'll tell you she had uh, about a week or two with 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 me um, as a sort of so-called experienced officer she learned very little absolutely nothing and how,
2: learned, to play,
1: learned, <laughs> how to play snooker how
2: to play snooker and also how to direct, <laughs> I left her directing
1: traffic on Tower Bridge which was an absolute nightmare for the poor soul um, but anyway we, that's how that's how we started
0: how long were you in the police in London and, when, and where did you go after that
1: well you were in five years and And then we got then we got married we we got married and i think we and then we spent i was in the the met for about 10 years and then we decided because we wanted to have um wanted to have kids we didn't really want to bring them up in london that wasn't where we saw our future so and we were both we spent most we went to sussex didn't we Mm -hmm. so for all the time we used to try and get out of london go camping yeah go camping whenever we could um, so we applied for Lincolnshire Police, and they accepted me, and we transferred there. And we, what was it I was going to say? That the
2: house, say about the house. We we just been we'd been camping in your aunt's garden or something, and looked in the local Lincolnshire Echo, and I saw this house, and it looked lovely. And so you phoned up the the vendor, and he sort of said, "Oh well, there's somebody else." coming to see the property this afternoon so you better get over here quick so we did we zoomed, zoomed over across. we had a two cv in those days and of course it was moving from side to side as oh, those two terrible. cvs do and we managed to get there just before these other folk yeah. arrived and you um, more or less shook his hand and said we want to buy your house and this was even before we'd but even. we'd only seen a picture of we? yes
1: we've seen a picture then we drove up this lane and it was two i think 17 26. 1726 it had been built. It was the most beautiful cottage, um, with roses all over it. But even look putting your head through the door, there was all of the plaster was off the wall. No, we didn't
2: see that when we, we went just, in. No, we just had our roast and But we just
1: decided that was it and um shook his hand and, and that and that was us. And it and it came with two donkeys.
2: No, one donkey, one, one two, donkey
1: goats, goat, two goats yeah. and a
2: couple of guinea fowls.
1: Yeah.
2: But no, it was where the kids you know, where our young family grew up, all the kids were born in Lincolnshire, and, and we had a very...
1: And we ended up with pigs and sheep, and goodness knows what else it Yeah, was. we
2: had a very happy, yeah, happy it's time, really, and it was really probably our first introduction into agriculture. We managed to get a small field that we rented off a neighbouring farmer, and, oh, we decided to grow... Richard had decided that leeks was going to be the good cash crop this year, and they were making incredible money and we thought oh that's great so we planted well, we planted these leeks and then uh, we'd the down, also the, done the, turkeys. the downside
1: was that we would we were doing turkeys for people at work so i used to do about 60 or 70 turkeys and um on oh it must have been how many days before
2: christmas about four days
1: before christmas so four days before christmas i used to get, kill the turkeys bail a twine and um, hang them up by the by the legs by baler twine on a loop so i stood up on the milk crate put the turkey in there and then jumped off the milk crate and i left my finger in the baler loop uh-huh. pulled it right off half the finger the whole way off oh gosh so i walked down to the house um with this thing i said oh no what have i done you know and i said to fiona i've lost my i've lost my finger and she looked at said oh god you're joking so she said um why don't we go up and see if we can find it it was in
2: the days um, of that 999, 999, 999
1: program there's... and they always got a bag of frozen peas didn't yeah so she grabbed a <laughs> oh, grabbed God. a bag of frozen peas we walked back up to the the shed and our labrador ben who was a fantastic dog but he'd been eating all the tit bits and he'd eaten my bloody finger
2: <gasps> <laughs> so that oh, was so anyway, no
1: so so um I was I was fingerless, uh, not fingerless, I'd, I'd lost, I was, it was actually, it was really painful for a while, poor old Fiona, I had a sort of insulated glove and could only use one hand and we had how many thousand leeks was it? I
2: can't remember, but he did buy me a lovely, he managed to go to the local boot sale and managed to buy me this sort of fleecy all-in-one <laughs> sea fishing suit or something, so I would be out there pulling all these oh, leeks no. and then dressing them all and... The, the price, for some reason, it plummeted. totally plummeted. So anyway, we went down to the local boot sale and Matthew, the youngest one, was maybe about three and he looked absolutely angelic. He had this blonde hair really blonde and hair. And he was great at selling them. So he just
1: sat there and everyone bought Selling them
2: him. for a pound or something <laughs> this, these bags of leeks or something. But anyway. It was so a real lesson for But them. that was our introduction yeah. into sort of the economics of farming. It, it, it really
1: was because, it, you know, when we first looked, the leeks were making fantastic prices, plant them, and of course, it plummets.
0: So, how did you go from uh, your sort of small holding life in Lincoln uh, to to moving up to a farm in Kippin in Scotland?
1: So, Fiona's father, who who bought the farm there, um, had a, unfortunately suffered a stroke. And because we'd been going up and, and helping with the hay over a number of years and, and absolutely loved it, and we'd had the small holding, he, he, he asked if we'd like to come up and take it on. So we did. And uh, that, it was a big it was a big decision, actually, because
2: I think we felt as though we had to do it. The kids then were still all at primary yes. school. And if we were going to do that kind of move, we felt we had to do it whilst they were still at primary school so that they could move yeah. up to a new mm-hmm. area. And, and it, they they adapted very well. They they perhaps might say, it, I, you know, I think it probably was difficult for the eldest one because mm-hmm. he was maybe in primary No, six or something, five or six or something. So you know, he'd he'd got friends in Lincolnshire, Mm -hmm. so it was a hard move for them. But we were all together as a family, and it Mm -hmm. was it was fine in the end. But it was um, very
1: exciting as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really was. It was it was good fun.
0: What did you imagine life would be like when you gave up your jobs and moved up to Scotland to farm?
1: I think naively, I thought it would be um, quite simple. I thought I thought we'd. I remember a senior officer saying to me um, just before I left that you know farming was was in the doldrums it it wasn't um, making any money be very careful think about the whole thing before you go um and and it it probably was naive i mean thought well fiona warned me about the weather but i think we talked it through and talked it through and we just thought well it's it's too good an opportunity to miss and my goodness me it was too good an opportunity to miss and and it would have been it would have been foolish to pass it by um
2: i think we would have probably we loved where we were living but i think we probably would have got bored there i think you know we the farm has enabled us to do so many different things and having the having the space to do it having the machinery to do it enables you to to do so many more things than you would normally be able to i think
1: coming from that sort of background we it, it is actually amazing the opportunities that you you get from having land you you look at exactly what you've got and and actually we're very lucky really that we've if that we've got land that we can do different things with it we can we can change direction we can change crops we can you know can change everything we want really we don't even have to do it we can go and get a job somewhere else and we can rent it out it's there's so many things you can do
0: what was the farm like when you when you first moved up and um, what size is it and um, what crops did you have Two,
1: 230 acres um, we we had a small suckler herd of around about twenty three twenty four cattle with a Cardona bull called Bob and um, I've
2: got about sixty acres of cereals. Um, we probably weren't. We we had Dad who had always liked having. Well, sort of good con- he'd got one out. good tractor and, and a macro or something but we didn't you know the hay yeah. bobs were very antiquated we had old Fergies and but to be Dexter's fair he not it because no.
1: it was contracting out a lot of it at the time when we i think we first came up and then we all did it ourselves we, but we, we
2: gradually yeah, improved the improved
1: machinery, the machinery we? As, we, as we went i suppose in fairness fiona had more experience from the from the farming side of it and and i uh, and i actually thought it would be fine and i suppose came into farming with that attitude and mm-hmm. and it was it was fine i think the thing that what changed for us was when the moment we came up we had three young children um james katrina and matthew and uh, you know we didn't have the uh, or we weren't going to have the money really to to mm-hmm. you know to to look after them and and we just weren't going to make a good living from the farms and that's mm-hmm. what really made us it was a. It was quite knee-jerk at the at the beginning. It, we ended up. We came up in 1997. Um, we quickly realised there wasn't going to be sufficient money for us from the farm. It wasn't available. So we, we Fiona, started doing a and um, She sold jams and marmalades at the local butchers. We started a um, a certified caravan site, which we had to apply and get ready and put pitches into that was that was a good thing that opened our eyes into the tourist um, industry yeah. so in between that we then thought well you know we had cattle and that kept us fairly busy but we were finding once that you know when the kids were at school as they went to school we'd do the we'd do the um, the cattle in the morning and then I'd done a plastering course fact, I did two plastering courses and Fiona and I would go out oh, she's shaking her head I and mean, it was a poor soul she used to come out with me and help clean the buckets so we would um
2: as you can imagine in those days it wasn't perhaps a nice environment for a, a woman to be on building site because they thought what on earth is this woman doing helping yeah. i was the plasters plasters mate but anyway no it was fine and it, it proved a means to an end and helped helped us financially
1: yeah no, it, was, it was it was it was good and if, in fact we did that really it helped us all the way through because it sort of opened our eyes to what we could do and so we we ended up converting um the, the farmhouse large typical large stone stone stilling. farmhouse and instead and there was one end which um, had a sort of open carport so we converted we got planning and converted it ourselves um, and and that became the first uh, self-catering unit for us and it was such a success and we realized that at the time i think we were getting I think we were getting 500 pounds or something for a finished beast and we were getting nearly that for a week's accommodation and it just it wasn't stacking up that was, that was another interesting thing we you know we had a good look at the farm and, and you know wondering why it wasn't so profitable and we found that you know we'd come from Lincolnshire where cereals they were getting about four and a half tons to the acre our inputs were almost identical really and we were ending up with know two ton to the acre so it Mm -hmm. didn't stand up whereas the hay seemed to work um so we we ended up um you know go going into keeping with all timothy at the time
2: and and there's old photographs of people with the timothy grass and it's almost i mean it's above the farmers stand you know it's oh well, it's incredible scotts really, timothy it?
1: absolutely incredible perfect
2: ground for growing it I mean, the only thing was it was it was difficult
1: it was difficult initially and we were very lucky because a lot of the people locally were, were very helpful to us and we got an awful lot of advice um from from farmers and you know no it was it was it was really good
0: so you were going growing all this grass what were you doing with it were you feeding livestock with it or were you selling it as hay well that
1: that was a another a bit of both. It bit it of both. And but the, that was another interesting thing that we were because the because all the grass was going to feed stock or a lot of it, we spoke, at, didn't we, to our canton. And um Ian was very useful and, and and he actually thought that the cattle weren't making money and it was a big, big decision. But he he thought we'd be better off without that. And we looked at that. We weren't so convinced about that and looked at that over a period of two or three years. And then we took the plunge and we did actually sell the cattle. Um, okay. And and funnily enough, it did. Mm. You know, the
2: farm we'd, did better. We'd also had, um, we'd been involved in a couple of the countryside premium schemes and the rural, st- yeah.
0: r- rural stewardship
2: <laughs> scheme, RSS scheme. And that had been very useful because we met a, a guy from the farming and wildlife advisory group group. Mm-hmm. Um, who had always said oh why don't you plant a woodland in this area that the cattle had grazed we have the we have the river forth going through the farm and we also have a tributary coming the buhan which comes from the north and he had said this this area of the the forth and the the burn always used to flood and our cattle used to end up swimming the river or escaping over fences. And he said, "Why don't you plant a woodland?" And he'd always said it would make an amazing place for the woodland. So we made the plunge to a sell the cattle and then b plant this woodland with nine thousand, you know, Scottish native woodland trees, which is, um, you know, which was a marvelous thing to do, really.
1: And that then became the area that we decided to build a, a coffee shop and that and and, and called it the Woodhouse.
0: Ah, I see. So, how long was this process from you taking over the farm and then deciding to get rid of the cattle, plant the woodland, and then go into your diversification um, right. options? We
2: sold the cattle in about two thousand and eight, so it was probably about eight years. But we we'd done the cottages, we'd done the woodland would be about mm-hmm. two thousand and ten. We we formed a plan.
1: I mean, we sort of thought that. I mean, part part of what we've done, we've always tried to have a five year plan, but. Mm-hmm. Some of it's just been knee jerk and just reactionary because purely because it's just, that's just the way it happened. You know, I mean, we, um, Katrina, our daughter had, had been working in a, um, a coffee shop up in Kippen and or came down and said, oh, dad, I just love, I love coffee shops. <laughs> I would love to do that forever and so forth. And you know what it's like. And I thought I was it I was thinking about it. And we had probably the only roundabout between Sterling and Lomond and it just seemed an ideal spot for a coffee shop so i spoke to fiona about it and we both decided to um to go for it so we started planning i think it was in 2009 Mm -hmm. um and it wasn't an easy it wasn't an an easy journey i mean it really wasn't in the end that then no then it wasn't in the end we got refused we got refused refused then then had to appeal um got that so i think the process was around about two two years
0: two and a half, two oh, and a half years before we,
1: before before we got spade in the ground so um, that's, a, that's what, a
0: long time it must have felt at times why are we doing this it's so oh, frustrating when you can't get through planning and
2: it, it was it was hellish and and it and it was but we ended up using a planning consultant um who was who was very good and I think that was probably the best thing that yes, we did was to to use the planning consultant and he he was able to to guide us through the process and and that that along with our architect um you know helped us so you know we we do we do use professionals you know because they're the ones that know best don't we yeah
1: yeah super it was no it's, it, but it was it really was organic and sort of organically grown i mean when we put the the coffee shop there we weren't allowed to put any more than the coffee shop so then we got planning permission almost straight away to put a farm shop um, and then double the size of the coffee shop double the size of the kitchen it went on it was organically grown for about four years it was good because we actually had two diseased oak trees didn't we on the Mm -hmm. on the site and we we had to bring those down but we used them to clad the whole um coffee shop and to build the tables inside and to start some of the you know the counters and the the shop front and everything and uh, no it was yeah fiona was ordering um were they? Potato are they, are they boxes? You were using
2: chitting so, boxes. Yeah, the for, chitting boxes for for, for, they, the, for the displays. And but so. they work really well for yeah, that. Yeah, no, no they look
0: nice. But I mean, they're they're a nice it. agricultural feel to the shop as yeah. to the cafe yes. as well. Did you seek any grant funding for funding the, the 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 cafe at this stage, or was it entirely self-funded?
2: We were very lucky. We did do an FBDS scheme and managed, and were successful in that. Um I think we used the SEC, did we? We realised that we didn't. You know even with that we wouldn't have enough money to to fund the project or to do it in the way that we hoped to do. And um, so we were able to sell an area of land that used to be it's called the clay factory and it was traditionally an old clay works. So we managed to sell that a proportion as, as so yes yeah, just a small as a years. as a building plot and that was super because that meant that we we had the funds to do it and we could do it in the way I had always envisaged, envisaged, sorry, that it was going to be this tiny little shed as a sort of tea room. But Richard always does things belt and braces, and it's always very—I mean, it was the car park was huge, and you know, etc. Everything is very well. I only do it because you agree. <laughs> but, um, if he hadn't agreed it yeah. just took a bit of work yeah. but no no so i mean it was it was good it was it was a relief to have to have that and obviously the fbds scheme was fantastic it really allowed us to to fly really
1: and it was life-changing for us really financially it made a big big difference to us the problem was just as we as we started um doing that and got it going we had a, an issue with we've been trying to move to be more green we put biomass burner a biomass burner on the house and the self-catering units solar panels and we decided we want to use digestate on the land to save using artificial fertilizers we put some digestate I'm obviously not going to mention who who put it on or so forth but um, it was heavily contaminated with plastic to such an extent that it covered 80% of our hay with plastic and, and, and actually made the the farm not viable and eighty percent of it unusable for seven years, and oh we're, we're only just getting over that. So you know, in, in it was quite. We, we tried in, you know, there was a little bit of a as I talked about knee jerk afterwards. That that sort of something that you're not expecting to happen at all. And um, we had the coffee shop, which was just kicking off. It wasn't. It did make a difference financially, but it was in its early days. And we were heavily in debt, although, as Fiona said, we'd got funding, which was marvellous, and we'd sold a little bit of land, but we still had to borrow an awful lot, and the farm was up. Um, It was collateral Mm -hmm. on it, so it wasn't without risk. The other thing that happened at the time was that Matthew, our youngest son, um, who'd been doing a teaching degree, um, decided that he would rather come on the farm. I mean, in fairness to Matthew, um, you know, he's a very, very fit lad, and he'd helped us, Um, for years doing the conversions and he'd been on the farm and helped with hay for years so he decided he wanted to come back the problem is we're then faced with a situation where we couldn't use 80% of the land Mm -hmm. so we previously put in a biomass burner we talked about it as a family we decided to put in a big biomass burner um chip burner and um And and, and drying floor so again there was a considerable investment for that we put we put this in and and it's worked actually very well. We now initially we even chipped our own wood, but that wasn't practical. So now we have contractors or Matthew. Matthew runs it. He gets contractors into um, to chip the wood, um, then it gets dried, put into a, a holding area, and supplies um, other farmers with wood chip who have biomass systems. And also now has just found a contract supplying students' accommodation in Stirling. So that's been a that's
0: been a good thing. Yeah, fantastic. So you were quite into uh, quite a few things all at once then, if you had your renewables and your and your cafe, and then obviously the hay business was running for a wee while mm-hmm. before before the incident with the plastic. Did it feel like there was a, a lot going on, too much going on, or did you feel like you were sort of adapting to what life was throwing at you? I suppose
2: because we, we probably were at, at an advantage because we hadn't been involved in farming before, and I don't know whether Richard mentioned, I don't think we mentioned, but unfortunately, when my father was running the farm, I think there'd been a mistake on the IAX form. There was two reference years that you had to that yeah, were true, formed yeah. part of the, your new single farm payment um, allocation. And mm-hmm. they'd made a mistake with, I think they put it down as permanent grassland or something. Anyway, as a result, we got a very small single farm payment but that probably was the making of us because it forced us to look at things in an economic way rather than rely on subsidies so I mean that did make us make us more proactive and also perhaps because we hadn't been involved in farming all our life we were quite willing to try something new we were up for you know and you know we didn't have blinkers on we were quite happy to go With lots of different.
1: It's actually a very good point that Fiona's brought up there because I I should have mentioned it right at the beginning. That's exactly what was really the catalyst for making us, um, you know, to to encouraging us to do different things. I mean, we we had to. So um, another thing that we did was to um, we thought we'd try. We were. Fiona and I were in Glasgow, we saw this really tall grass growing um, at the side of the
2: road. And I thought, what the hell is that? It's taller No, you, than- d- you dragged me out and said, we've got oh, to true. go to Cumbernauld. <laughs> so we came off the motorway at Cumbernauld and you drive, and I think, where on earth are we going? And we end up in this weird random industrial estate and showed me this field of tall grass, didn't you? Yeah,
1: but it, it, it was a, it was amazing. I couldn't understand how this had grown so tall initially wondered whether it would be any good for um, biomass for burning mm-hmm. and I got in touch with it with, you, you picked some of it I and picked, you sent it off to I sent it off to a guy called David Lawson who was at the SAC you know, and yeah. he came back to me and said that it was a uh, canary grass came out and had a chat and decided we decided to put a low alkaloid Um, version of canary grass which is widely used i think in um shooting estates and things like this as cover yeah and we thought well you know david's saying that this thing might be used as fiber in clothing it was um an awful lot of things it could do it could because it was low alkaloid it could feed crops it could feed cattle rather um and it would still do as a silage so we tried this and and actually it was it was really it was really good and and these things have a habit of, of bouncing into so this is the problem that one thing leads on to the other so David said oh you obviously like trying different things I'll introduce you to to a friend of mine Kerry and so Kerry Hammond came out and talked to us about um, black soldier fly and putting up a building
2: well that was I think it was, she That's, came out initially about the canary grass wasn't it and we were just discussing just discussing, discussing various then, options
1: yes. But then we did look at the we we looked at we thought that was a really interesting concept and we still think that is that is an interesting concept, and it would involve us you know a small building where you where you, you're actually producing, um, black soldier fly for human consumption or food or for
2: fish farm for fish farms or, okay. or whatever.
1: And it was it was, the trouble is then COVID hit, and um, but but also stopped. we did
2: we did sort of pursue that and I think the investment or or even we looked down the the cannabis sort of yes um, we did ch but yeah right. we looked
1: at the, at the cannabis route and <laughs> but, see whether but that the, was possible the
2: capital investment for some of these things were so huge that they were just out with our was, i think the cannabis was a million pounds because i think it's
0: to, more than that wasn't yeah it?
1: something like that to um you know just to start the ball rolling so
0: going back to the when it first opened, you said it was sort of ticking over and, and then you had the, the um, disaster with the plastic on, on your, your hay ground. And then you mentioned that you then opened a farm shop. How, how did that come about?
1: Well,
2: I think, Richard, well, because we had been constrained with the size of the building we were initially allowed to build, we wanted to expand it. And I think you put in planning permission the day we actually opened it up. We had a very good local councillor who'd been very helpful to us and he sort of more or less indicated that once we'd got that first initial step, mm-hmm. then he would be far more amenable to or the council would be far more amenable to any development. So it was super And they we were once yeah. we got over
1: that initial step, council were great and uh, and he was super and it at this point needs to be said that from I mean from its it I did an awful lot of the work in at the early stages in getting the thing built, but the moment the doors were open, Fiona and Katrina ran it and in, in its entirety. And actually, to be fair, they sat me after about um, three weeks. And it was uh, <laughs> three, oh, don't, don't, don't. three
2: days, basically. <laughs> First couple of days, we were absolutely rammed and we were really busy. And it was the merchant um, terminal credit card machine. And Richard was at the counter meeting and greeting oh, no, all these customers. Oh. And he would chat for hours and there was this big queue building up then we realized we couldn't work out how we'd made so such a small amount of money no money <clears throat> because basically he'd been keying in the wrong amount into the credit card machine so if it was 13 pounds he put in 13p so oh, no. <laughs> no, no nobody owned, owned up. nobody owned that to that they they, they they must have thought it was a an opening special or a <laughs> I
1: just No, nobody said anything but honestly I mean the girls gave me such a hard well deservedly so such yeah. a hard, like, hard. the language oh,
2: under that dear, the, the language terrible. under that counter was probably pretty foul and, I can assure you and
1: I remember on that first night we got back and I'm, I'm sure Fiona and Katrina won't mind me saying they both ended up in in floods of tears it was it was brutal it was absolutely yeah. we, we had no experience in hospitality and to be fair, I I know, I know they're both brilliant at that. Fiona's cooked, you know, to a really high standard for many many years. Um, she knows such a lot about, um, you know, hospitality. So does Katrina. Katrina had been involved in it and done her own baking. Well, goodness me, it was really tough at the beginning. But what a job they made of it in the end. It was fantastic. It was a real baptism of fire. I mean, it was really on top of the farm. Well what was left of the farm, But you know, it was really hard work. And it was so many different things. I mean, even even things like an EPOS system, which we changed the way that we were doing things so that everything had to be logged on the computer and barcoded. Well, we had, didn't have a clue. Yeah. You spent a month
2: doing that. But, you? but neither of us had a clue. I think our daughter had worked in hospitality. I had no concept of how the flow from the kitchen would work or once the orders mm-hmm. were taken. Didn't have any concept of that at all and it was only when we first opened up and um, i ended up in the kitchen i think i was you know acting as a chef then I, but i think it was this, fairly daunting as i was really. gonna
1: say, the other thing i think we we've we ended up with a staff of 26 and i mean i'd been a i've been a lowly sergeant in the police but you know when you had a shift you had a structure you had a set of rules which everyone understood and they had to abide by so managing People perhaps in the police was relatively easy when you come to something like hospitality when you have a real cross-section of the community in there and local community people you've often known and people you've been friendly with and that is a totally different form of managing people and was very very difficult wasn't Mm -hmm. it um because we had to make it we had to make that make a profit if we didn't they'd lose their jobs and we'd lose our livelihood as well you know it was, it was. it was tough
2: stuff at the beginning but um and you had to care for them exactly you had to know them and their personal circumstances and what you know try and be open to their problems or difficulties etc as well didn't we yes
0: and, and Richard, you, you joke about being fired after the first three days, but I think when you open a new business like that, it's about knowing what your strengths are and, and your skill set. And whilst a lot of it is learning on the job and figuring out how things work, particularly in a new business, there is, does become a time where you think, actually, th- this isn't what I'm skilled at. I'm not uh, suited for being on the till manning the I, I, <laughs> credit I card think, machine and I you think, need to step back.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And, and that, it's a really important thing that I learned that. I actually did think that I would be, okay in there and be able to pick it up but it's <clears throat> it wasn't wasn't for me it really wasn't and although I carried on in the background doing all the bits and pieces that we needed to do um you um, were all you were at, I was always there and
2: it, and it was a, f- a whole family yeah, it was a family whole effort, family effort. you know the, if if the KP went sick, you know our youngest son would come over and help with the and it, and James, yeah. our youngest,
1: even when he was here, he'd come over and and lend a hand and stuff. So he'd been out
2: in New Zealand, so yeah. he was out for you know. For every, of everyone would everyone would would help or do a bit. But in fairness, you've often said that you've said that even with the cottages. He would moan by the fact that he was. He, I built all these things, and then as soon as it's done, you kick me out. And, and <laughs> it, it was recognizing, well, I, as you I, rightly say, that it I wasn't know, his skill set. And, and I mean, I,
1: I remember once we we were opening the one of the um, the granary. I think it was one of the self catering things, and we didn't have anywhere to hang coats. And Fiona said, "Need something to hang coats with?" So I, I suddenly I remembered I'd seen a piece of wood down at the river. bry waxed it, whacked it up with some coat hooks, and oh, it's it looked great. lovely. But the moment I'd done that, Fiona kicked me out. That was it. Gone. <laughs> and, and it was almost, it was some, something really strange when you'd spent nine months or something doing a place up for me. It was, you know, it was really derelict. And the whole yeah. thing had to be rebuilt like a house. And, you know, I'd, I'd sold my soul really on it. And um, well, then you'd, you... You'd
2: worked every... Worked every uh, day you know, every after, after the kids had done their homework or whatever, he would go back out there. Also, you'd come out Yeah, i come out and yeah.
1: But, you know, so, it was...
2: I'm afraid the, the awful boy boy band music used to drive me crazy <laughs> and stuff. I couldn't bear listening to take that or Westlife West oh, no. anymore on, on constant yeah. repeat. But he was there with his music blasting away and just working away. And you did, you did, I mean, you did, well, between us, we did everything yes. apart from the electrics and the plumbing. And the plumbing. And yeah, it's good. So it was a good team effort.
0: So going back to the farm shop and cafe business, I understand that's now let out to somebody else. What drove you to make that decision to hand over that part of the business?
2: I think it was I think it was a long time coming. It was something that we really were quite, you know, had quite a lot of angst over the whole what thing. Is, is, letting letting go because we put such a lot into it. It had been such we'd we'd invested such a lot of it personally and mm-hmm. emotionally and we loved. I mean, Katrina and I loved it. Well, we we all loved it. I loved. Yes. I loved the shop. I loved. I loved the customers. I loved dealing with people. But we did feel that it was having an adverse effect on the family dynamics. And it's not an easy thing to always work with the family. Although we always maintained a professional, you know, appearance in front of the customers. Sometimes you feel as though your whole life was talking about that business and not talking mm-hmm. about any of the other personal issues so i think that was yeah. the it, it never damaged river.
1: us did it but no. we, we did find exactly as finished that we would we would meet up for family dues and all we would talk about mm. was the coffee shop and yeah. it became it, it was just too much it, it it just we just decided and in the end then we thought to ourselves, well you know can we take this an awful lot further do we do we want to um and maybe we didn't you know we didn't want to do that and it, it had changed things for us and perhaps wanted to do different things and so and also we were coming close to sixty and you know, you you get to that point in your life where I mean, I know some people go on into their eighties and they're keen as mustard, but I think we'd sort of decided that we we wanted to do some other things and perhaps take things a bit a bit easier. We'd had a we'd had a a long journey, you know, twenty years in the police and then starting a new career Fiona had done five years and in the police and so forth. It so, so it was, you know. I think we decided that it was time to start coming backwards. Doesn't seem to have happened yet, does it? But we—that but we, <laughs> was the plan.
0: So you—you've successfully let that out, and that's running well and working well. And you say you were going to take life easier, but then I understand you decided to start a tea business.
1: So well, the tea—the uh, probably the, the tea sort of came at the same time as the biomass boiler so and the we, coffee, okay and the coffee shop we put we okay then, we then put some polytunnels up to grow tea and also we did think about vegetables or or herbs for the coffee shop and um and that type of thing so so we started tea, and then matthew suggested that we perhaps we thought about gin um so we we after he did quite a lot of work on that and we ended up um coming up well I think Matthew came up with the idea mm-hmm. for um gin tea, gin tea gin um okay and the the what was it the tea it was spelled ti which was so the for gallic, tea, the ti, the yeah, T-I. The gallic, yeah. um, okay and that that it, it took off quite well but then again we hit covid so mm. so that it's still it's still running it's not I think the market we all know that the gin market is saturated and yeah you know, we're okay with that, we're just moving slowly. We've got other things, you know, we've all sort of, we've all moved on since, um, you know, the land's back, but Matthew in between, although he's on the farm, has had to look at other ways so of, he's doing the chip, but he's now started up a landscaping business. So he's, you know, he's doing that. So we've all had to find- um, And he's doing his containers. And, and now, yeah, he's doing containers and converting containers. And we, we're looking at doing a um, an, off, an off-grid, um, you know, holiday setup. So we've got we've got things in the fire at the moment. We're sort of looking at lots of different things.
0: So it sounds to me like you've you've tried lots of different things, some more successful than others. Where where do you get the inspiration? What inspires you to try all these different things? How do you go about finding new ideas? I suppose
1: you could say that you look at other people because no ideas, coffee shops aren't new. I think it's the way you you. Would, I think Fiona and I are lucky. We're a really good team. We have we do have different skills, and. We've always we've always worked well together. It's not you know it's not perfect, but um, but we do work really well. And we and I mean she's my you, inspiration. You, and no,
2: but you're you're he's a very good idea. I think it probably stems from your insomnia. He doesn't sleep particularly well, so often he'll wake up in the morning and say, "I've got another idea." I think
1: sometimes I can, I find it quite easy to see a pathway, but I mean seeing that it means absolutely nothing unless you have.
2: What, it through. focus
1: and have the right team i mean if, if as yeah. a family and we are we are really really lucky i mean we have a, we are lucky now it's absolutely exhausting when you start having a brainstorming. a brainstorming session or something like that it's just exhausting everyone's you know coming up with different ideas and saying things and i think we've definitely decided that's enough we want out now it's
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how it has followed through in the you know, because yes. I suppose we had none neither of us had any um you know, our parents had all been in employed work, neither of them had been no, that's none right. of them had been self employed. So we were the sort of first ones to be sort of self employed. And I think the kids have really flourished, yes, they, they have flourished from, that. from that. And yeah. as Richard said, they're all such grafters, really. It's it's a credit to them all.
0: I, mean, I think it sounds it, like it's a credit to you for both demonstrating um, working hard yeah, and it, towards towards a, a goal and then the, the family gets involved and can see the benefit to them. So what, what's your aim for the business now? Um, Obviously the kids are sort of stepping up and, and they're taking over different aspects of the business. Where would you like to be in five to ten years time? That,
1: that's a really interesting um, question because at this point we're now finding, I think, if i'm being absolutely candid more pleasure being on the west coast of scotland than we are probably starting new ideas and and mm-hmm. probably time to hand over and that's actually one of the most probably one of the most difficult mm, things difficult. um
2: to do and,
1: sort of. and trying to make sure that you equally look after all of your children um yeah. so we with i think we're taking advice now well we are taking advice on that one now and we're you know, we'd we're, we're just trying to have to see how that goes. But
0: what do you think's been the biggest challenge since taking over the farm?
1: I think initially it was probably trying to forge a living when we when because because we didn't have any single farm payment and so forth, I think that's quite hard work trying to figure out, although it wasn't a very glamorous way of doing it, it was just sort of battling your way through trying to make things Um, paper Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the coffee shop was tough Mm -hmm. I mean that was from its concept all the way through but
2: the contamination you we we had these fields that just had hundreds or thousands of bales sitting there rotting and we went round and round in circles trying to find a solution to this and everyone came up with different solutions and there was no No. real resolutions and everywhere we went were all these piles of rotting hay and Terrible e, you know, even years afterwards we were still we were finding bits stuff. of plastic plastic on the ground, didn't yeah. we? So that yeah. that was very that was a real torment for you, yeah. wasn't it? I mean I was probably more busy with the coffee shop, but I think for you you found that really well,
1: hard. I, I I actually love hay. I love doing hay. I really have. I could I could actually finish hay here and then go abroad and do it again. I mean, <laughs> I just I just enjoy it and I get a real pleasure from making from making good hay. Not that it always yeah. happens but it's you know and, and we both did we yeah. both enjoyed it hey, we mm-hmm. both do so no it was a it was, it was a good word it was a torment really all the time whenever you walked out of the the door all you could see were these piles we we were actually told to pile them up i think in the in the middle of the field to into sort of big pyres or well something i think like
2: originally that, it was going to be they were going to try and look at picking, carting it off and yes. taking it off to be composted or to taking it off to be burnt but then they said they couldn't burn it because it obviously had a net wrap or silage wrap around it so we just sat there it must have been almost six years we were you know in in, um, involved in that
1: and in the end it had it had some of it had rotted it had gone down composted a bit and when it when it was concluded we ended up just applying to the local um SEPA. Ca- uh, SEPA for a, a licence to burn it and we just mm-hmm. set fire to them all and it was just so cathartic we had to see it all burn. Took all the plastic off all the, all the plastic all all the off and of the net wrap off and just went through it yeah. and, and burnt it and that was it.
0: So on on the flip side of that then what would you say is your biggest success story from from everything you've tried since you took over the farm?
2: Probably our marriage. <laughs> 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 no, I think I, what would you I say think, I think probably the the coffee shop has enabled us to do things as a family that we financially that we couldn't have done and I think Richard had identified quite early on with the cottages that we were tied to having however many I think at the end we had four that we were letting out but we would always be tied to the changeovers etc and that actually the coffee shop allowed us to to grow in a in a much mm-hmm. more exponential way and it's been you know it's, it's allowed us to it's allowed all the family to do things that they mm-hmm. wanted to do, hasn't
0: yeah, it really? it has. Uh, so we we talked earlier about uh, about the contamination with the plastic, and obviously that was a, a tough time um, for you personally and as a business. How do you pick yourself up when things aren't going well or when you're feeling a bit overwhelmed? I
1: think go, for, a, go for a walk. Go for a walk. I mean, I've, I've got quite a strong um, uh, Christian faith, so I find that's quite a solace as well. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we, we walk, don't um, we? We go um you know we go to Mali to RSA quite a lot um no we're very lucky
2: and that's we do have a, a good family, good family. That we can talk yeah. talk things over and although it can sometimes get a bit heated or but it is you know it's good to have family that you can chat things over with isn't it, isn't mm-hmm.
1: it? yes that's it. I mean that's that's the thing I mean the family have been the you know Fiona and the family are really the the thing that made the whole thing you know easier to bear
0: and you talked earlier about um, when you take over the farm business not having subsidy and I think that's um, a reality for a lot of farm businesses now that we're looking towards subsidies changing and it's it's likely that a lot of farm businesses will be looking at getting less subsidy than they have in the past and that's obviously a challenge for many businesses that have been used to getting that income. Um, what top tips would you have for someone starting out in agriculture or, or finding themselves where, where they're not getting the financial support from subsidy that they're used to?
1: I don't know whether we're qualified really to give anybody advice or.
0: I think we've uh, always
2: asked. We've always asked advice of you know, ex- experts or whether, mm-hmm. whether it was SEC or independent experts. I think but, I think, you know, using other people's skills. But
1: I think also you can buy, you know, if you read the farming press, if you get on Google, if you look in what's going on in other countries in agriculture, in tourism I think if you're honest about your own skill set and that's really important that you that you know what you you know if you if you know that you don't really enjoy people then there's not much point in doing tourism and I think you look at your own farm and decide you know can I grow something unusual can I you know what 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 can I do on this farm can I open it to the public is it better to have some trees is there a long-term plan with woodland you know there's you know if, there's so many different it's just I think it's keeping your eyes open You're not just mm. seeing what you because we're all tied we are tied to our own farms we can't go off and do small farms You can't go and do something elsewhere we have to we have to work with what we've got and we have to work with who we are so and you can only do your best
0: so what would you say is success for you and how do you measure it
1: it's um I think that's subjective is it not I mean as I say it's not about money it's I think it's about I think if you feel, I think I honestly, think if you if you feel you've achieved to the best of your own ability, if you've done your best, and and so for surely that's success, it's surely not, it's not, it can't be. We, we don't crave, you know, we don't crave. No, and there's an awful lot of other people who've got an awful lot more money or flash cars and goodness knows. It's not about. It's surely not about that. It's about, um, it's about your family and about your marriage and about your life and
2: and doing
0: things well.
1: Absolutely, that's exactly right. Doing things to the best of your ability.
0: Thank you Fiona and Richard for your time today and giving us such an interesting insight into your farming business.
1: Thanks Mary Jane. Thank
2: you.
0: If you need help with succession planning, there is funding available under the Farm Advisory Service Integrated Land Management Plan. For more information, go to faz.scot. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Agriculture. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow and subscribe to our show Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find our contact details in the show notes.
2: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.